Welcome to The Word Podcast. I'm Seth Williams. And I'm Brendan Ward. And we're here to discuss all things local real estate, legal, title, market, and really anything else we can come up with. So stick with us on this journey as we talk about The Word. I am here with uh, Brendan Ward from Cherry Tree Title, uh, co-host. Yeah, I think that's what we're co-host. I don't know. I think we're. I think usually when you're co-hosting, and uh, get both of us. And Brendan's at Cherry Tree Title. Sure, yeah. And Cherry Tree Legal. Correct. I do a little of everything. Do legal. I do legal and title. And we have Lacey here as well. Hi guys. Hi Lacey. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. And uh, Lacey is in the mortgage biz, as well as Anthony LaPola. What's up, guys? Lacey, why don't you just kick us off a little bit about you and and how you ended up in the biz? I think that's a great call. Cool. I am Lacey Farrier with Cross Country Mortgage. I've been in mortgages for four years now. I've been in real estate for a very long time, though. So um, Hmm. before mortgages, I was a real estate paralegal. I know. Did you know that? I did know that. <laughs> for like 10 I did years. my homework, Seth, on our guests. Just find me on LinkedIn. Did you know she was also in the real estate biz? I did. It's a real estate agent, I, too. I did know that. And Anthony, tell us about how you ended up in the mortgage business. I worked for a real estate investment company, um, not right out of college, but two, three years out of college. Knew I wanted to be in real estate in some capacity. Um, hooked up with a real estate investment company, worked my way up from, you know, Run, run into Worcester five days a week to kick people out of their apartments. Uh, ended up getting my real estate license while I was there to hold the license for the company so we could continue to buy, acquire, rehab, rent, a um, whole bunch of units. Then became the chief operating officer of the company. So again, handling everything from acquisition all the way to rental. We tried to sell the company. That was a little bit clunky. And at that point, I was uh, it had run its course, so to speak. So I remember being at a friend's house who Seth and I both know, sitting at his kitchen table, kind of bitching about work as, as sometimes we do. And he goes, uh, hey, I just got a phone call. I think you should talk to this guy. And he says, uh, hey, I think you'd be really good at mortgages. Go get your license. If you pass the test, there's a seat here for you. And like six months later, I was writing mortgages. Crazy. So, and no looking back for you either. No looking back. Not no even now. Back. Not even now. So um, a pretty cool story. I think both of you guys kind of just migrating into the biz or kind of organically, which is, yeah, yep. I've said the biz like 3000 times already. So I'm going to stop saying that. Um, and then I know that you, you guys probably both had a lot of like built-in sphere of influence clients immediately, you being in the couple different real estate related industry. And then obviously uh, friends networking, Yep. you know, Mike with uh, his development and whatnot, right? It's just uh, probably an easy natural progression into the business. Yeah. I mean, I, I always tell, especially the new guys that come in that we've hired over the years. Um, you know, I, I had a very, un, what's the word to use? Unorthodox. Very, un, a very unorthodox start in mortgages because I walked into the business with re- relationships already established. Right. You know, new people coming in that, that don't have that. It sucks trying to build it up mm-hmm. from the ground when you get nobody yeah. to, you know, get business from, give business to. Fortunately, you know, you and I were close. We had other right. friends that were building houses, doing whatever it was. Um, and I was kind of able to step in and, and, and build from there. So pretty fast start, unconventional start, but still kicking. So you guys who probably, do you guys still work mostly remote? I'm in office because I have a team there. Yeah. Um, I like being near my assistant, especially. So I like to go to the office. I get way more done at the office than I do at my house. I'll switch it up and here and there. Same. 
I like to be in the office team, people around me. I also have a three month old at home. So <laughs> trying to work under those conditions is not always ideal. Um, you, but yeah, I mean, I'm in the office three, four days a week. What are some of the things that agents are kind of calling you and either planning or venting or, or seeking your guidance on right now? Asking if they should get a second job. <laughs> That's the biggest thing. What's, what's my answer? advice to, on getting a second job? Well, I, I tell them, I'm, I'm like, can you pay your bills right now? Right. I said, this isn't going to last forever. It's, we have to just get through. We'll all get through it together. Um, make sure you can pay your bills for sure. Mm-hmm. But if you need, if you're having a down day or if you're struggling, call somebody that will motivate you. Call me anytime. I, I tell everybody that. Call me anytime. We can motivate each other. Yeah. So we had kind of like an office epiphany uh, a couple weeks ago. The reality of it is we've been so busy and, and just so lucky the last couple of years in this market that it's actually created such poor habits in the mm-hmm. business, right? So, you know, like the other day, like, and we have a full team here at, at Reference Real Estate. So like some of the outbound prospecting and stuff, we have an inside salesperson who does, right? So, but that's no substitute for me prospecting for new business as an agent, right? And so, you know, just recently as we've shifted our focus to more um, buyer prospecting and and uh, buyer cold calling and, you know, working those leads, so to speak, that we have in the database. And um, we're, we've shifted that way more towards sellers. And with sellers comes, uh, you know, past clients, sphere of influence, you know, for sale by owner, expired, all this type of stuff. And so now our level of prospecting is going up and the epiphany was like, man, imagine if we were doing this the entire time, right. you know, how much is- more business we would have had. And, and it's, it's, uh, it's disappointing and frustrating, but yet, you know, at the end of the day, I'm sure all of us will be fine through this, but there's going to be some agents who aren't, they're going to drop out of the business because mm-hmm. they have uh, not reacted fast enough. They haven't had any of that prospecting in play and quite frankly, probably didn't save any money. Yeah. Either. It's like if during the refi boom, Anthony and I, as we're still successful, we're still busy because I feel like we both focused on purchases during the refi boom yep. and a lot of people didn't. So a lot of LOs just focused on the refis. Um, I let a lot of refi business go because I just stayed purchase focused. Cause I, I mean, this was bound to happen. So yeah. we knew it was um, coming. Yeah. Right. Maybe not gonna... to the extent that it right. did, but we knew a shift was coming. Yeah, no doubt. So. What's, what's crazy. And I don't know what you guys think. Um, I just never would have thought that rates would have ran so far up so, so fast. fast. Yeah. So I remember having a conversation with you, you know, I don't know how many months ago now, but it was like, dude, what are you going to do when rates hit 7%? And I was like, dude, they're never going to hit yeah. 7%. You're mm-hmm. out of your mind. It's not going to happen. Relax. Everything's going to be fine. You know, little adjustment and everything's going to work itself out. And, you know, here we are basically looking at 8%, mm-hmm. right? In, in a lot of cases. Yeah, man, it was... The refi boom on the other end is going to be good, though. Oh, I'm ready. For sure. I'm ready ready for it. (laughs) Um, Getting extra sleep right now. (laughs) Well, like similar to your point that you made a couple minutes ago is I have this conversation with my team every single day and it's let's use this downtime, quote unquote, downtime to, you know, perfect our process because six months from now, we're going to be going, shit, we should have used that time to iron out the kinks or to bring on another Mm -hmm. staff member or to, you know, perfect our process, whatever it is. Uh, and if we wait, we're going to be behind the eight ball and it's, it's going to be far too late. And you'll never catch up. You'll never right. catch up. Yeah. No, so I, I you know, that's, that's another piece of the, of the staying motivated question is, is, you know, knowing that things are going to change, this isn't going to last forever yeah. and being ready for it and using the time to the best of your abilities while it is slower so that you're ready. You're ready to hit the ground running when mm-hmm. that refi boom does come around. So one of the things that Seth and I have talked about a couple of times is like the market that we're in compared to the rest of the country, right? So like the fundamentals of Boston are in the Boston Metro are pretty significant, right? So like we have these people that are, you know, renting apartments for four and five grand a month that 
you know, were transferred here from Atlanta or they were transferred here from Silicon Valley and like they're in this temporary housing. So like those people are going to be buyers and it's like, how do we target them and what are we doing to find those folks so we can get them because they're not going to care as long as the payment's in range with what they want, that mm-hmm. the, the, the rate's eight and a half, right. right? So like if you know your budget's four grand a month or five grand a month or 10 grand a month, it, you're not going to look at the interest rate, right? You're looking at the payment. So like, how do we get people to focus on the payment and not the rate, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, oh, easy. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, All right, so- tell us how it's easy. <laughs> so this is what I've been doing and I've still been busy. So I've had a lot of closings every month. Thankfully, um, I'm just educating on the refi already. So we're locking in them into the purchase rate. Fine. Um, there are plenty of different programs that we can get into to help them with that rate, but I am going over the refi process with them. I'm going over what that entails. I'm pricing out different scenarios with them. I'll drop it down to a six, a five, just to give them payment scenarios so that they have something to look forward to. And that's bringing the business in and keeping them active. Yeah, making sure they know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to the same point that, that Lacey was making, it, it's, you know, years ago, I told people that when there would be any objection to rate, it's, you know, call me six months after you close. You're not even going to remember what your rate is. You're going to remember what your payment is because you right. make it every month, but you're not going to look at your rate. Um, you know, this is the best we can do at the moment. You know, it is what it is. It fits your budget. It works. But selling the refi now, I mean, it, not not to be a shady salesman, but people are craving that information. They're craving the fact that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, that things are going to get better. So if it's, you know, convincing someone that this is only temporary, you know, you got to stick with this payment for six to 12 months after that, I promise you it's going to get better. It works. You know, people, people get it. Mm-hmm. So help me with this. Cause I, I, I hope I'm not lying to all of your clients when I tell them this at the sure closing table. I know. I hope, I hope I'm right. I've been saying this for, for quite some time is like, stay in touch with your loan officer. Like they have a database that they know what your interest rate is and they're going to yeah. call when it drops and it makes sense. So like every closing that, that I do, I'm, I'm like reiterating, like, make sure you call Anthony, make sure you call Lacey because they're going to want to know that you want to refi. So is that like real? That's real. Okay. Oh, yeah, for yeah, sure. I have real. that database and it's all listed out. The date they close, the interest rate, they pay PMI. It's all listed out. I'm actually preparing that list for when the refis happen. So how often will you touch base with them between closing and that hypothetical drop in rate? I mean, we're expecting rates to drop next year. I want to try to stay in contact with them more often. So that's why I asked that question, right? Because like, you know, it's um, past clients for us. Usually we kind of just let them chill three, four or five months after closing you know, we'll, we'll touch base on birthdays and that type of stuff. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and now we're trying to keep them in a prize more of their equity, mm-hmm. right? Cause there's no doubt there's a, there's a dip that's already occurred in a, a lot of different zip codes, but I feel like, you know, you'd want to spool that up. And I think whether it's an agent or a loan officer or a state attorney, it doesn't matter. Like we all, I think need to be communicating with our past clients probably more right now yep. than For we, sure. than we, that even feels natural. So just talk to me a little bit more about that. Yeah. I mean, every six months at minimum, you know, twice a year, uh, six months after closing, a year after closing, you know, we all use different technology, different services that put us in front of people on a more frequent basis. I think as we wind down the year and get into next year, expecting rates to drop, that personal reach out, that personal connection will probably amplify quarterly. Yeah. Um, You know, everyone's situation is different, but being in touch with them, knowing where they're at, understanding what their needs are, and then, you know, that you can parlay that into how much they really need you. You know, and I'm sure Lacey does the same thing. 
So I'm trying to reach out to them even monthly, okay. whether it's a text, like, how you doing? Or an email yeah. or a call. I kind of switch it up. Sure. But I think monthly is important right now. Normally it would be like every six months. Yeah. Usually. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. So one of the things I heard you say is PMI, right? So a lot of people, because of the massive increase in values, mm-hmm may not necessarily want to refi because their rate is low. Does it ever make sense because of the gain in equity and the amount that they were paying in PMI to do a refi anyway, even though the rates are higher? Depends. Okay. Yeah. Not really right this second because the rates are so high. So (laughs) it's not really making much sense. I would think it's better for more for the people that want to take cash out. I've been, I still have been doing cash out refinances, especially for people buying investment properties. We're using the equity from their primary. Um, but when they were a little bit lower, for sure, it still it made sense to get rid of the PMI or go from an FHA loan to a conventional loan. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Because you can't shake PMI without refi or until you've paid down your original. 78% yeah. Yeah. is when it'll fall off automatically. Yeah. Um, given the appreciation over the last couple of years. And I've told this to people since, you know, the end of 19, it's, you know, look, give it six, 12 months. I mean, it's going to take you organically five years to get to that 78% in terms of loan to value with the market appreciation. You're there in six months. And will they just months. order like an appraisal, but without a refi or will <laughs> well, you can, if, if the servicer allows it, they can request it. A lot of the servicers have gotten tighter on what they'll allow for and, and, what needs to be in place to get rid of mortgage insurance. I just because they don't want them in that three and a half percent interest loan anymore either. Right. Well, they don't want to give up the MI. Right. Oh yeah. So I had a borrower who bought in 2020, clearly with appreciation, they're at 80% or less. They've been calling me every single month for a refi. And I'm like, look, you, do you want to trade your 3.625 rate for a seven and a half? Like you do. Hell no. I'll write it. Yeah. You know, but I mean, the financial impact, you're not saving yourself any money by getting rid of the mortgage insurance. Here's what I recommend. Call your servicers, see what they allow. Because it's been less than two years, they wanted to be able to verify that substantial work has been done to the property to allow the removal of mortgage insurance. Now they're coming up on two years and, you know, another three months. So after that, they're in the clear, but until then they're kind of handcuffed. Makes sense. Interesting. Mm. For at least us, I think what we've been struggling with is trying to service these clients that came into our system, our database or our sphere, whatever you want to call it back in the spring. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and Anthony, we have a couple of mutual clients um, where, you know, they were pre-approved for a killer amount and we were shopping in the spring at, you know, three and a half, 4% even. Um, And they're still super well qualified make no mistake. Um, You know who I'm talking about, right? Exactly. (laughs) And like the reality is, you know, we haven't written an offer. Um, We've cooled our search a little bit. And now it's, you know, it feels like we're beating a dead horse trying to get them to look at property because their affordability has been curbed by, geez, probably 300 grand. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, in some well, they cases, could, they yeah. could afford it, I right. guess. That's, their pay, that's, their that's payment the has become so uncomfortable right. yeah. versus what they could afford. And just because all that happens, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden I'm okay with a much shittier house. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And so for us, it's been trying to re-engage those people, which quite frankly, and I know I've sent this to Anthony uh, and I'll say it to you right now, like, you know, you're not probably buying the house you live in today at the price it costs today at seven and a half, seven. Like you I just, bought a house in May. Yeah. I'm not buying that house today if <laughs> yeah. the rate's at seven and, and a half. And oh, by the way, you know, Peabody, 
didn't really lose a ton of value. And if it did, it's, it's really minor right yeah. now. So I think the reality is all of us, I, I feel like it's two-faced. I don't want to be telling my clients, oh, just it's still a good time to buy, still a good time to buy, which let's agree, real estate's on sale now. And sure, the rates are temporary, mm-hmm. but it doesn't change the fact that the payment is really, really huge. And that's the really hard part right now is like one of the things that I uh, say endlessly is just trying to highlight the fact that there's so much opportunity in this market for buyers, despite where rates are. Yeah. I mean, how much you probably have statistics on it. How much has buyer demand dropped off? 50%, oh, 60%? Well, I think we, if you recall, we did an exercise when one of the first of a billion Fed raises yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah. And we went through just the loans closed this year. Yep. This was like an epiphany for me. Yeah. And I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but like it was like a hundred clients, let's say. And we just went through real quick. Who, who could have still bought the house they bought at today's rate? Yep. And the reality was it was north of 50 or 60%. That tech just based off their debt to income couldn't physically would have not been approved. It's crazy. I know we were just talking a little bit about appreciation in the market and kind yep. of what's happening. And uh, see so the Schiller index. What is it? Who is? It? Yeah, Case Case Schiller. Yep. Index. Um, generally, the point to make is that month over month, nationwide, prices are down over one percent. The the greater point that I wanted to make, more so related to us locally in New England, oh. month over month, yeah, prices are still up, but essentially flat at less than half percent. And is that year to date or just yeah, for the last date, month? Right? That is the last month. Last so month. So that is September. September compared to October. Yeah. Uh, year over year. So this October compared to last October is still up 12.2%. So what's interesting is if you look at the local zip codes, I'm finding that a lot of them are starting to dip drastically negative. Well, I think it's also important to define what it means when prices come down. Because what what does it mean? A price correction on a listing does not mean that prices are coming down. That's defined by if the same house is sold for a lower price than it did previously. So if someone buys a house in 2020 for $600,000, they list it today for $650,000, they price drop it to $585,000. That's a price drop because now it will theoretically, let's say it goes to $3.5 at $585,000. It is selling for less than it did previously. But if you take that same house bought at 600,000 two years ago and you list it at seven, 700,000 and you drop that to 675, that's, right, not, a, that's not a price mm-hmm. reduction. Yeah. It's still positive appreciation, positive growth. As it relates to this chart. is Correct. Point. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. And I think the other thing too oh. is a oh. lot of the data is <laughs> lagging data, right? Yeah. Right. So when you look in the MLS and you see properties are, you know, still up year over year. The reality of it is that doesn't account for the listing that I have in Danvers that's been price dropped 15% that's still active on the market. Yep. Right. Because once that closes, which at this point is December or potentially January, dude, that's going to be 22, 23% down. Yeah. Right. And obviously that's just one example. Maybe I overpriced the house. I don't know. (laughs) I guess we'll come back to that later. But um, it's it's very interesting with the data because there's now I'm being very cautious of where I'm listing homes that I'm just quite frankly putting them down ten or fifteen percent where they would have been potentially in the spring, and 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 those aren't closed yet, right? So once those close, you know, six months from now, what does that summer market look like? And I think sure we'll probably get back to flat appreciation pretty swiftly. Yep but it's all relative. Like I have no clue personally and professionally at this point when this will stabilize. I don't know if you guys have an actual hot take. We've talked a lot about it. Yep. 
I mean, I have if, opinions. I don't know yeah. if I have right. takes. Well, I, I personally, dude, my opinions, I said in January, there's no way rates hit five, you know? And then once I think my, my coach at some point in March was like, dude, like, what are you preparing your business for 9% interest rates? And like, I laughed. And then and I, I called me and, and said, dude, what out. am I going to do? <laughs> yeah, rates, and are rates really going to hit 9%? And, uh, you know, uh, I think as they started to spool up in the spring, I got a little bit more nervous, got a little bit more practical, got clear on expenses, you know, broke our lease, bought a building <laughs> instead, <laughs> you know, just cleaning it up, right? To, to prepare for the storm a little bit. But I would have thought that things would have been a little bit more normalized already. There was a window in August probably a two week window where rates came back down to 5%. And I, yeah. I had two or three borrowers that I had one guy in particular that he was under agreement in November of last year. We had his rate locked at like three, eight, seven, five. He backs out of that one. He looks all summer for a house. He goes under agreement, you know, not all summer goes under agreement. Let's say March the whole time. I'm like, dude, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do about your rate. Like it ain't going to be three, eight, seven, five, but I'll do my best literally locked them like a week before closing because I was like, you need to do this right <laughs> mm-hmm. now or you're not buying this house because guess what? You don't qualify with where rates are. Like Crazy. I have to pull this out of my ass and, and find a way to get you closed. Um, and the market just like self-corrected for a hot minute and we got it done. And when I like, was looking at, you know, past transactions this week, he's at like five and an eight. Yeah. And a week later rates hit 6%. Yeah. It was just wild. Well, so when do you think we'll see that rate slide again? Gosh, my opinions keep changing, and I'm yeah, just all of to, ours do that. I know. Up. So like, all I can do is daily. just continue to follow like the economic professionals every single day to try to figure it out. First, I heard first quarter of 2023. Now, second quarter of 2023. Now, now third, third fourth. Yeah. So I'm. I personally think third <laughs> quarter of 2023. Um, maybe a little bit of a dip before then, but yeah, that's my prediction. When you say a little bit of a dip, so right now we're probably for the average borrower in the mid to high sevens, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for the sub prime, that's not the right word, but you know, the, 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 the shittier borrower. Well, well yeah. here's actually uh, the weird thing about pricing not, not to go off on a tangent, but rates themselves are actually staying fairly consistent. It's the points that you have yes. to pay for that yeah. rate that are, that are moving, which just, you know, Let, let's, I, can, can we explain yes. that to a knob? I was just right? going to say, like, I understand points. I literally don't freaking understand why anyone has to pay to get a rate. The reasons that people are having to pay points right now, even at elevated rates, is going to get real technical, but it's based on the secondary market. So yeah. every loan, if you don't know what that means, it just means that. Oh, I know what it is. More, Those are the people that are in the basement. For the listeners, man. <laughs> oh. For the people. Oh, sorry. I thought we were talking Wait. about me. So, so every mortgage basement? we write. The people in the basement that check to make sure that on all the documents that you put the notary date expiration and the I don't think that's and it. the where Patriot is the basement? Yeah, it's in Madison, Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> and then thirty days after closing, we get emails day after day from somebody from that basement. says the documents are wrong and that we have to go to the bar oh, and get man. them updated. So mortgages, but those are, are for the secondary market. So mortgages are traded. Every mortgage right. we write is essentially packaged up with others that are like it and sold into the secondary market as an investment security. The reason borrowers today are having to pay rates even at elevated points. interest sorry points at elevated interest rates is because to put it simply there is no demand for a mortgage product a mortgage backed security at a 7 plus percent rate on the secondary market. So in other words there's no buyer there's a no loan buyer product for that, that for that investment security so by default yeah. for that product that mortgage product. 
Why? So, so why does me paying because more? The market knows rates are coming down, mm-hmm. uh, and the investors don't want to get stuck with something that's going to get refied out. Well, because they, they're going to lose yeah. money in the short term. Well, because right? an investor has to pay a premium to a mortgage lender to acquire that loan. So if they're going to pay an, a lender, let's say one hundred and three percent, a three percent premium on that loan that's closed, that that's an expense for them. If that borrower makes six payments, eight payments, twelve payments, they never recoup that upfront premium that they paid out to acquire that loan. So now what they're doing is they're forcing it on the borrower. Hey, borrower, you want to go buy a house right now? Awesome. We want you to buy a house, but we want you to pay two points because we're not willing to pay two points to acquire your loan. There's no profit in it for us. No, I think that was a great explanation. I think it makes a ton of sense. I think it should make you feel good about the rate market, right? Exactly. One of the things I heard a loan officer say recently was that borrowers... In, in the secondary market, buyers are also worried about too many people paying points to buy down rates and then impacting the refi market on the backside of it, right? So if the buyer just paid 10 grand in points to buy down their loan, they may not want to do a <laughs> refi because they're going to lose that 10 grand. Oh, yeah. So the buyer themselves. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So what my, when my clients come to me and we're talking about buying it down, some people are asking to buy it down even further. And I'm advising, no, this isn't go- this doesn't make any sense because you're going to refinance way quicker than you're going to recoup these costs. Um, so the people that actually know that ahead of time, that's a great point. But we have, it's our job to educate them. Right. And, and, you know, that's, I have a lot of conversations with the real estate agents that I work with. And it's, you know, let's, in this market, a little bit less buyer demand. Sellers are starting to feel some pressure. Let's get a seller credit. Let's right. ask for 10 grand back for, so that the seller can buy your rate down so that even mm-hmm. if you refi in six months, you didn't outlay that cash. You're not losing anything. And that helps seller did, but right. the loan cost qualification too, right? Like if there's- it can, yeah. yeah. But, but ultimately, it's a way for the seller to still get the cash that they want for the home. Correct. And bridge the gap of affordability. Well, it's uh, like this, right? To use your point about price dropping that house, you know, let's say it was four times, whatever it was. Instead of a price drop, you go to your seller and you go, look, I got a buyer that's willing to buy it. All they're asking of you is 10, 15 grand to buy down their rate so that it's more comfortable for them. So, hey, Mr. Seller, we can drop your price 20 grand, go back to market, do another open house, or you take a $15,000 hit on your proceeds and we get this thing locked up today. Yeah. So what I've, I completely agree with you. And I think the hardest thing as an agent who predominantly lists in the market right now is how do you convey that with clarity? to the end user being the buyer when the buyer is not your buyer, right? Like I might not ever even, ever even get the opportunity to convey to a potential buyer that my seller would be good with that. But what am I going to do? Write it in the MLS description that none of us read? We've had this conversation. You know what I mean? It's so hard to communicate. Well, you're usually really shy with uh, co-brokes. So I can't imagine you wouldn't want (laughs) to explain that to a buyer's agent who's trying to put an offer in on one of your listings. Well, so that's the thing I'm talking about. (laughs) I think that was an insult, but I'm not sure. (laughs) I'm trying to think think about how do you even... I can't even talk right now. (laughs) It's not... If you have, if you have, I'm having a stroke. <laughs> if you have a buyer with an agent, it's not an issue. It's, right. it's trying to get to that point that I'm finding is difficult, right? So let's continue to pull the thread of the Danvers listing. The reality is with 10 or 20 grand, if I, if I have that available and let's say I do, how do I convey to the general public properly that there's so many different loan programs available to, to give you 50, 60, 70, $80,000 in buying power on the property because the reality is we can do that on any and all of our properties that we have listed. There's just no good way to do it. And, you know, we have to have these people at the open house 
to have these conversations with. And quite frankly, at the open house, I'm representing the seller. And it's, it's a weird fiduciary spot to be in to start conveying that, hey, my seller will give you cash. You know, it just sounds so desperate. So there's no good, there's no good way to do it. And ultimately, it's I just think come, Lacey has an idea. It's just going to come down to like out of the box marketing that you either display, but no one's going to read it. It's just a tough spot. Go ahead. What I've been doing, and I don't do a ton of open houses just because I'm very busy with children on the weekend, but it's so important to have a loan officer at your open house and let them do that. Yeah. So what I've been doing is even just leaving my flyers. I mean, there are yeah. programs like the buy down programs right now. So I've been telling the agents, talk to your seller. Are they willing to do this? And then we'll leave these flyers at the open house. And when you people do come in, have the loan officer educate them. And then you don't even have to do it. Right idea. That's a good call. Well, well, you were saying that though, you know, maybe for a class A loan officer, like the ones that we have in front of us, maybe part of their discussions with the buyers as they're pre-qualling them is to coach them on strategies yeah. for abstracting credits from sellers. And right? that's what we've yeah. had to do. Right. Yeah. You know, that's how we're keeping them active. Yeah. And that's what I find is the hardest thing right now is like we as the professionals around the table, we know there's opportunity. We know that, you know, we can speculate when rates are going to come down. We know things are going to get better. Conveying that to your buyers and in a lot of cases, the agents that are working with them is really difficult. People watch the news. All the news is yeah. going to talk mm-hmm. about is how shitty things are and how high rates are and how much buying power you've lost. So the challenge for us is, is flipping the script on that and really proving to people that there's opportunity, there's ways to achieve what they're looking to do without breaking the bank. All it takes is a little bit more creativity than what maybe we're used to over the last couple of years, right. but there's, there's ways to do it. Yeah. It's so hard to even get that end user who is browsing online right now, like the Zillow buyer, so to yeah. speak, who might've quickly used their calculator to calculate a payment. And they're like, oh, I want to go see this. Click, click, and there was an agent, right? Yep. I feel like even the, the, them running the numbers is stopping them from even the in, initial inquiry. And so it's so hard to, te- to reteach or retrain those folks. You know, it's one thing if you have the inbound ping right. and you have yeah. the opportunity to, but there's so many people that are just on the sidelines, not even attempting to play right now. Because I, I truly believe it is still a good time to buy as long as you get the payment that works for you. Right, right. Yes. There's a trade-off between yeah. today's prices at today's rates True. versus, you know, prices a year from now that we could argue are still going to be 10% higher than they are. The rate might be 2% less, but now you're still paying more for the same house. Right. Instead of buying it today, getting the house, locking it up and refining in six months when rates come down. Yeah. So you had mentioned um, the buy down uh, already, Lacey. So mm-hmm. can you just uh, quickly, and I'd love to hear from both of you guys, just quickly touch on um, like this two one buy down concept that everyone keeps throwing around, and I'm sure yeah. the people don't the know, people. don't even know what that is. This so. is a good one, and I've been using it a lot lately. My company offers a one one buy down, a two one buy down, and a three one buy down. I'll just stick with the two one for right now. The buy down needs to be paid by the seller or the lender, so the buyer doesn't even pay for it, which is enticing. So you lock them in at an interest rate, let's say seven percent. That's the note rate. <clears throat> so the first year of their mortgage payments, you're going to drop two points. So they're going to go down to 5%. The second year after that, it's going to go drop down by one point. So it's 6%. Then the third year on, they'll be locked at the note rate at 7%. But the beauty of this is you can still refinance. So you're going to be most likely refinanced before you even hit that 7%. So it's essentially lowering your payments for quite a, quite a while and the, bar, the buyer's not even paying for it. And so- the cherry on top is if you refi before that two years is up, that seller money that was used to buy down the rate mm-hmm. is sitting in escrow. 
that gets used to pay down the principal cool. balance on the loan when you refi it. So essentially, your seller's paying for your refi. Mm-hmm. That does sound win, like win. a cherry on top. When I initially heard about this, my immediate concern was like 2006, seven, yep. eight shit. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, who? well, what number are they getting qualified on? And they're, and they're qualifying on the highest payment. Correct. It mm-hmm. used to be at the lower rate, which is what caused problems. Yeah, because right. if, another, if another person, correct, right? Because then you're setting all these people up to essentially fail two years from now. Right. And, and that would, in, in fact, cause huge problems if, if a lot of people were taking advantage of the program. But again, they're, they're go ahead and they're qualifying on this, on this highest payment. So there's if another person tries to tell me the market's going to crash because of the two one buy down. I'm going to lose my mind. So <laughs> yeah, that couldn't be farther from the truth. Agreed. Isn't it funny how like, I feel like years ago you had to really try and convince either another agent or, I mean, I guess you guys don't do this that often, but we found ourselves always trying to negotiate. Like, why does this person need a credit? Yep. Do they mm-hmm. have liquidity issues, et cetera? And now it's just like so, it's like all of a sudden the consumer being the client has like gets it. Clearly the obstacle all along was the agent not willing to explain it. You know right. what I mean? Well, I think when you have 20 offers on a house yeah. and you're trying to make sure you're taking the strongest offer and all of a sudden someone might have the highest offer, but they're asking for 10 grand back. It's like, well, is this deal going to fall apart over 10 grand? Because if so, I'm just going to take the next offer in line. Right. When you're only got, when you've only got one, two offers, you know, it becomes a, a greater part of the conversation. And I know there's a couple other uh, loan programs that kind of broke out lately, the uh, Dream, Mass Dreams program, right? Mm-hmm. So yep. have you guys already started doing some of those loans? I have. Yep. Yeah. And so could you just quickly catch us up on kind of what the take is on, you know, the pros and cons or, you know, what you need to qualify. We don't need all the, the ins and outs, but just a high level. Take it away. You've probably written more than I have. So I think the cons are the way people are marketing it and real estate agents don't know enough about it. And they're just marketing it as, oh, you're getting free Free money, money. free money for everybody. And we we call those Instagram realtors. Oh gosh. (laughs) So that's been brutal. (laughs) It's been tough because the guidelines are more strict. strict. Yeah, they are more strict. There are income guidelines you have to follow. Mass housing calculates income different than we normally do. So you have to be very careful there. And the biggest problem people are running into is some loan officers are qualifying people based on that grant. I'm not doing that. I'm not oh. going to send a pre-approval it's not a guarantee. because it's not a guarantee. You need to have an accepted offer to even apply for that grant. And it's oh, not, not going to last forever. And it's up to 50 grand. Right? And there's no, only like, the, like $30 million in the fund. Right? Yeah, it's a for set the fund and when it's gone, it's, it's gone. gone. It's gone. Right. So what I have to do is make sure that they qualify with a DPA down payment assistance. And that's how I'm sending my pre-approvals. I will always have a backup plan for this mass dreams, but it's good if you can snag it, but uh, there's way more to it than what is being advertised. Yeah. And I haven't, I haven't written one yet. Would you even know as an agent writing or receiving an offer, is there any differentiator <laughs> on the pre-approval or, you know, cause no. if someone was doing a five to 10% down, I would never ask for proof of funds, right. but it's very possible that we could get to commitment timeline mm-hmm. and get, you know, denied. Well, so this is why why you can't include that grant. It's not a guarantee. So you (laughs) can't use it as like, you only qualify for this house by getting the grant. Yeah. That's not a good pre-approval. We have seen the, in our office, some not great loan officers like the two of you (laughs) that have done the program. No, you are great. And these other (laughs) loan officers are not as good as the two of you where they were telling their clients that they could use the down payment assistance to qualify. And then we're at the commitment date and we have to kill yeah. these deals. That's so already we, happened. We, we've, we've had to 
as Seth would say, take a couple out behind the woodshed. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Well, the so, worst part was shooting. when when Mass Dreams was announced and every real estate agent you yeah. know was, hey, everyone, free 50 grand. If you qualify, you just have to live in these cities. And mm-hmm. I think you were at the same thing with oh, right? yeah. the, cherry yeah. tree, the, the event with uh, Lisa was there. Yep. And she made a point at the event to say, you guys are wrong. Yeah. You're, you're marketing this incorrectly. You're mm-hmm. giving people false hope. That's not how it works. Right. Yeah. Right. We didn't make one of those videos, to be clear. Good. Good. Don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't plan on it. I think this podcast will be sufficient where we actually explain the. Don't program, be an so. Instagram realtor. So, uh, just a quick pivot. It's something that I've seen starting to happen. And I'm wondering if you guys are seeing it as well. And I'm sure, um, Brendan, you can you can comment on this stuff too. So, I've started to see like li- literally every single transaction over a price. So, I, I just was curious if you guys were seeing the same thing start to happen on your end. I feel like they've been coming in close to asking just so appraisers save yeah. their butts. Um, yeah, fair. It's the old appraisal trick. Yeah. Oh, your, your offer is uh, three Send me the PMS. 353,985. Uh, the value of your house is 353,985. Exactly. Like, sure, don't round up. Don't, <laughs> so good. I'm, I'm not seeing anything. Like, oh man, that agent's awesome. They hit it right on the head. <laughs> I'm seeing things like two, three, four, five, ten grand high. Nothing substantial. Yeah. Um, I've seen a few. I mean, they are coming in strong. I don't know. I have one that just appraised $24,000 high. You and I have What's one. the purchase price? Uh, 535. That's high. 535 mm-hmm. came in at 554. So I, I was high. off 20 grand high, 19 mm-hmm. grand high. That's uh, five, 6%. That's yeah. High. You and I have one that just came in three grand yeah, high. I mean, drop in the bucket, yeah, not yeah. a huge deal, but still they're coming in higher. But yeah. I mean, to Lacey's point, it's, I find most of it is appraisers just trying to cover themselves. You know, they're- right. They don't even know what they're going to do. They don't. I've, they can't even catch up with the market. So yeah. I guess that's good for us right now. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> what about vacation properties? Wow. So where do, we, where do we see that market heading, right? So like in the toilet. In the yeah. toilet. <laughs> <laughs> it's just by a, quick, um, a quick verbal. Uh, any of you guys have a vacation property? Not yet, but I want one. I want one, but I refuse to buy one. I only, have, I only have a rental property. I don't have a vacation property yet. Yeah, so as the guy who uh, jumped into that Airbnb market in the spring, <clears throat> there, a lot of people are calling for like Airbnb bust of the short-term rental market right now. So what's funny is Fannie and Freddie are actually starting to recognize Airbnb style income. income. Yeah, starting to. Yeah. Can't use it to qualify. It's, you know, it's still on thin ice. But I could use it to offset my debt from the Airbnb property. No, no doubt. And yeah. here's the thing, right? When you're going to file your tax returns and you're going to file rental income on your secondary property, that's yeah. your vacation home, but you rented it for eight months out of the year. As soon as it's on your taxes, it's real income. Right. Yeah. I think that the market from an Airbnb standpoint is, I'm not really nervous about it because at the end of the day, I don't know about you guys, but like when I go on vacation now, I'm not staying in a hotel. I'm always looking the Airbnb route. So I think there's always a, a big demand there. I, but I do think that like hotels and stuff are doing, trying to do a lot of work to combat with that market. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and then secondly, like Airbnb is just not hard. Like it's just not hard. But I think that's why we're seeing, and, and you know, Lacey can speak to that's this too, why we're seeing rates and costs so high on right. second homes is I think a direct result of to cool Airbnb. Correct. Right. Because people are buying secondary homes at rates that at one point were very similar to primary housing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They were staying there for a weekend, renting it out for three weeks out of the month, every right. single month. And then they were collecting rental income. Fanny and Freddie recognized this and they go, well, shit, we're just going to make it cost the same as an investment property because right. that's how you're using it. Right. So I think that's kind of where it came from. 
Well, what's interesting is I wasn't even thinking about Airbnb. I, I was more on the like, like long term vacation home, true well, second home, or second homes. Just generally, like the markets where second homes are, saw this massive value increase with COVID. Yeah, and like especially in the Northeast, people like leaving New York City, leaving Boston. So I ski, and we're always looking like up north, and all of the properties and the locations where we look are like double what they were two years ago. So like as companies start bringing people back to the office and it's no longer convenient to work from Lincoln, New Hampshire or still Vermont, when you work in Manhattan, there's got to be some, some shift in that market. I I think those are the first prices to fall. Yeah. No, not everywhere, but the lakes regions, you know, up along Lake in Maine, lakes in New Hampshire, people that family homes, right? You get, you get a family, you want to go to the lake for the weekend, whatever it is. Um, you're right. They saw a massive appreciation really, really quickly. I think those are the first ones to come down. Like in, in like back to our definition of a declining market or declining prices, I think that's the real true first leg to go. Well, that's the risk too, right? Like if all of a sudden everybody in our area of Florida decides that they want to get out of this secondary market because the market's turning and they start dumping their properties and create this massive influx of inventory. Now you're going to see prices decline. And don't forget the demand has weakened because now it costs more to acquire those homes. Or what about you bought them with a HELOC? (laughs) Like how many people bought second houses with HELOCs? And now their HELOCs are prime plus half half percent. It's a different story than when it was three. Great. Do we think HELOCs are going to be an issue? I know we we were doing tons of them. I don't know how many people like drew on them, but... I mean, I don't do HELOCs, so I wouldn't really know, but I did a lot of cash out refis to buy those second homes and investment properties. It might be bad for business, but I'm actually recommending that a lot of people go get HELOCs. Same thing. Like I don't mm-hmm. write them. I have connections that do. I have people that I can give them to um, just to make sure my borrowers are taken care of. Um, no, but it, what's, what's the trade-off? Cash out refi at seven and a half percent. You got to right. pay three points Same to shit. get it. Or, hey, look, man, go get an equity line, pay 6% on it for a few months. I'll refi you out of it when rates come down. You know, it's Mm -hmm. just the smarter financial move. Like I said, bad for business. I'm giving away a loan, essentially. Um, But if it's better for the consumer, I mean, that's, you you always got to put them first. Mm -hmm. Right. No, I I was more asking like the people that took their HELOCs out three years ago Uh, that drew on them were paying the lower rate. And now they're like, oh my God, I have 50 grand on this HELOC. Or seventy five grand on the C lock. It, it used to cost me a hundred bucks a month. Now it's six hundred. Well, I have a lot of people coming to me and trying to refi and consolidate both with their uh, first mortgage. But I'm like, no, you got to wait. Because yeah, you got to wait. Doesn't make any sense right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are the only refis we're writing. Is the cash outs for the yeah. people that are hurting financially mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they don't care. They I mean, need the money. Here's the right. like. When the Fed raises rates, it's not apples to apples to mortgages, but it is affecting your HELOCs, your credit cards, your student loans, your your variable sources of debt. Um, I mean, I'm taking a dozen phone calls a week from people like, I just have to get out of 50 grand of debt. I don't care what the rate is. I just want this gone. So we talked a little bit about HELOCs and I keep reading a ton of news about how different mortgage providers are adding different products right now, like specifically around home equity loans and home equity lines of credit. Um, You know, obviously we're not looking to get into the uh, the inside of NRL mortgage or anything like that. But like, (laughs) have you guys had any, uh, you know, inside dialogue about how do you satisfy today's business need? By by this uh, lending niche that you know or niche or as I like to say it, um, that's missing right now maybe uh, in the business or with your company specifically because obviously some companies do do that yeah. specifically to HELOCs yeah. or okay for instance I mean we have a HELOC pro- um, product but we don't use it 
right because now. Because it sucks. Right. So yeah. I have somebody that I can send mine to and I can do loans that they can't do. So we are a great referral. Reciprocity. Yeah. We have a great referral source for each other. That's how I'm handling it. Got it. Uh, we can write them. What I tell people is I don't write standalone HELOCs. Mm-hmm. But what does that mean? Like a, just a, a HELOC as the individual single loan. So you could write a loan, like a mortgage. I could write a mortgage and I could piggyback it with a HELOC for like an 80, 10, 10, right? Someone so I own a property outright and I'm like, hey, dude, I want to I want to do a cash out refi type thing and get a HELOC. Or like, I want to buy something. I want to put 10% down. I want to avoid mortgage insurance. What do you got for me? And it's okay. You put your That's 10% down. Mm-hmm. The HELOC contributes the second 10%. So effectively, you've put down 20% for that like an primary second. product. And then we write a conventional loan at whatever the amount is. Yeah, uh, it's not the most attractive. Probably smart to do right now, though, right? Because with popular with with values not, being potentially down. Here's the problem: the rate on the primary mortgage takes a pretty substantial hit when you add the second lien. So it's substantial, like three quarters of a percent. And so, when you're so already you might be writing to, that primary at nine ish. No, well now you're just paying for it because remember the rates are staying fairly <laughs> consistent. The points is really where we're seeing the the volatility. Yeah. So someone that would have to pay, say, a point to get into that loan is now paying closer to two just to offset the adjustment from the addition of that HELOC. It's not popular. Nobody does it. That sounds terrible. And it's pretty mm-hmm. terrible. Yeah. Well, in a big, a big institution like Cross Country or NRL, like those HELOCs can be potentially ticking time bombs too because they're yeah, true. like you can just write checks, right? So like yeah. they might not be able to you pay lend. your mortgage with it. Yeah, I mean they might not be able to do bigger lending if they have a ton of HELOCs yeah, out yeah. there that are exposing them to, to people writing on them, which is why I think the smaller banks are more into that because they can control the risk of how much they have out on the street yep. in terms of like available funds. Yep. Yeah. So HELOCs are your, your typical mortgage lender won't offer standalone HELOCs, smaller banks, credit unions, things like that. Creative products, new products in and of itself. I don't know if you wanted to get into that or yeah, if you just wanted it. to keep it on Let's HELOCs. It. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's everything. There's non-QMs, there's bank statements, there's debt service coverage loans, there's P&L style loans, there's uh, asset depletion, which you can do conventionally or you can do non-QM. There's pretty much every solution for every buyer that doesn't fit into your conventional box, so to speak, there is a solution for. You're going to pay for it in the rate. Right. Those are where you're going to see eight, nine, 10%. I worked on a cash out refi for a guy, million and a half house. He wanted to take a million out, pay off his loan, pay off his equity line to the point we were just making pay off some debt. I was like, Hey man, I have a solution for you. Um, but you're not going to like it. The rate's 10%. <laughs> Your mortgage payment is now going to be $11,000 a month, but it gets you out of debt. Right. What do you want to do? He was like, I can't do that. Yeah. I was like, cool, man, then sell your house because right. I don't have another solution for you. So the point that I'm trying to make is you're going to pay for it, but there are solutions. Yeah. And my question was more centered around the loan officer, or the loan company trying to generate additional income and maybe a downtime. Yeah, got it. Right. So, um, but all, all really, really good info. So you've both mentioned point buy downs quite a bit. Is that a point, like a, a full percentage? So like when you buy a point, are you buying a full percent? Like, so I'm going from five to four. Or is there some delta in the reduction, right? It's not like dollar Great for question. dollar. Yeah. How does the, that work? For the buy-down programs? For any of them. Just like buying if, a point. Just right. buying points generally. Yeah. Like, like if I buy a point, am I getting like from five to four. Yeah, because people people think you're no. lowering your okay, interest that, rate. Yeah, yeah, no. I didn't do a great job of asking the question. That was a great but, question, actually. But I think it's something that 
I don't fully comprehend. I don't think a lot of people comprehend it no. because I think the optics make you think you're saving quote unquote a point. The terminology yeah. would yeah. suggest. Yeah. Everybody asks, what's a point? Yeah, finance What's a people. discount point? Yeah. And, I'm just, and I just explain every rate comes with a cost. I mean, just think of dollar signs. Forget that I said point. Right. So, so one, one point is 1% of your loan size. So a $500,000 loan is a $5,000 for one point. That's that, the cost. That's it doesn't cost. essentially buy it And down. it brings you down. Are we, te- are we teaching it you right now? You yeah. down, well, it's going to be different on market conditions, right? Mm-hmm. So normally, historically speaking, on average, let's say one point would get you ballpark at a quarter of a point. So your rate could go using today's rates from you know, 7% to 6.75. Sometimes it's a little bit lower. Maybe you gain three-eighths of a point in today's market based on the economics of, of how these loans are being priced. You can get closer to a half, if not five-eighths, if not three-quarters of a point in rate for that one point in payment. Oh, that's pretty good. Using yeah, point, yeah, yeah. Using um, point yeah. with different definitions yeah. in the same sentences. Stop. Well, I think for most lay people, like that's probably a difficult concept to grasp. But I, I got it when you two just explained it. Thanks. That means we're great. Yeah. All right. So... uh couple different articles out there, all just kind of claiming, you know, markets down 20, 30% uh, from a, a real estate value, mm-hmm. right? So just want to get some predictions from you guys. Uh, what's like the, the max? Spot. Yeah. So yeah. Anthony, when do you think rates will peak? If they haven't already. Really? In the next couple of weeks. The next couple of weeks. Okay. Lacey? I'm thinking end of November, December. Yeah, I'm with Lacey on this one, I think. Well, I guess that's what I mean. I mean, a couple of weeks puts it us It is the right around November. the corner. <laughs> Shit, you're right. <laughs> Christmas um, is, I guess, in 60 days. Somebody yeah. posted oh, that God. today. Uh, yeah, Christ. <laughs> I, was th- I was thinking somewhere like December 15th-ish, we'll start to see some walk back. At 3 o'clock. Yeah, 322. <laughs> Mark it on your calendar. Yeah, yeah. I'll send you a calendar invite. Uh, as far as home values, if you had to throw a percentage number on it, how much do you think home values will come down from now until the, the floor this cor- of this correction? I don't think we're going to see home values come down. I think we're going to see a lowering, a, a gap in the appreciation. So I, we might see like less than half a percent growth in home value in home values, sure. but I don't think we're going to see them come down. Okay. Anthony? Individual properties, sure. We'll see decreases. Yeah. I think as a whole, uh, I agree with Brendan, relatively flat. Yeah. We're just going to be- get back to a more... Uh, sustainable, reasonable level of appreciation. You know, your your one to three percent year yeah. over year versus the twenty percent. Yeah, four to five percent. It's like really good. It really mm-hmm. good. Some I would take market, that on almost any investment I have. No doubt. And some of these markets saw uh, twenty two to thirty three, thirty four. Like the inverse PBD specifically, I think it was like thirty five, thirty six percent. Like forty percent in two years. Yeah, it's insane. Just, I mean, that's so not it's unsustainable. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So, and so that's the thing. Even I actually do think. Well, uh, I still haven't asked Lacey, but. I, actually, I mean, I agree with both of you. I don't have a different opinion. But I, I actually do think, <laughs> though, I think they're going to come down on paper. Now, I think it all depends on when you snap that chalk line, right? But I think, I think this year will probably stay either slightly positive or slightly negative. And I think next year, because I think, I think this is all going to go on for the, the better part of the next nine to 10 months, mm-hmm. that I think that the market ultimately will be, probably be down like 5 to 6% next year. Home values. Yeah. I think in some parts of the country, absolutely. Yeah. Um, a point that Brendan, I think, was making early on is that we in the Northeast, we're in Boston, we're yeah. somewhat insulated from a lot of what happens in the rest of the country, you know, not just geographically, but economically. I mean, look at what we've got in Boston. Yeah. Listen, I agree with you. And so, I, to, to, to extrapolate further, like I think that 
we'll even see a delta between towns and zip codes. Oh, like I sure. think that like Weston, Wellesley, like they're not going to go down sort of some of the, the like the B yeah. and C market, the RA markets will, will not see any decrease. I think some of our like B, C, D markets might, yeah. might I, see drops. I, I think I'm, I'm probably hypothesizing super hyper-local, like the Peabody as an example. I don't think you can go up 30, 40% in two years and not end up dipping back negative. The three, four, five year trend line is still going to be so dramatically positive. So negative meaning year over year growth, yes. not prices. Uh, prices next year will be lower than prices this year. I'm referencing the, the definition in, in of... You want to make this a bet? You want to make a bet? Yeah, we can make it a bet. I, bet. Oh, um, bet. I, just, I just think that the, the leading indicator of what I'm seeing in the market I think will result in some softness next year. And the second rates release, mm-hmm. make no mistake, that's the damn break. Right. Well, I think until you solve the fact that there is a housing shortage. Listen, I, I'm in your camp in theory. <laughs> I really am. I just, so if rates peak in December and they start to walk back when? January, February? I think beginning of Q2. So Q2, you said Q3 April, earlier, April, right? May. What number is that? Is that six and a half? Is it six and a quarter? Are we going back to the fives? I feel like they're going to stay steady for a little while. Maybe high sixes, mid yeah. sixes. And who knows? I mean, we saw them dip like crazy and then increase yeah. like crazy. I'm just hoping for like a steady. We also yeah. saw a global pandemic that nobody saw coming, exactly. right? So like all of this is tied to economic and geopolitical right. things that like we, geopolitical. Couldn't, we couldn't predict. Well, we have you know, the English economy on the brink of, mm-hmm. you know, collapse. We have, I don't you know, know anything about that. Oh, it's a big deal. The so UK like, is about to just yeah, the UK fall out. Yeah. Well, that's the, not going to be good. No. So like there, there are, and when I was answering the question earlier about like, it depends on yeah. external economic factors. Like we don't know when it's going to peak and it could, it could drop and jump back up or it could drop all the way down. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of the fun of, of what we do is that like, we just never know what's around the corner. I was gonna to some extent, it keeps us on our toes. Like we all thought that we were screwed here. when the pandemic came and then it, you probably yeah. had your best year. Yeah. yeah. No doubt. Right. So no like, doubt. for sure. Who knows? As fun. A, a quote I heard, and I think I shared with Anthony, um, when rates go up, they take the elevator. <laughs> when they come down, they take the stairs. And so I do think it's just going to take a while for rates to normalize. And like, I just think at six and a half percent, it's going to be tough to sustain long-term growth in housing prices. I agree we're in, we're, we're in a really good market where in reality, the market will be fine. But I think this slight pr- correction is going to materialize. It's just my personal or professional opinion. And I hope I'm wrong. I get a lot of property. I hope continue to go. <laughs> What cool. gets sellers off the sidelines? So I've been reading a lot about all these sellers yeah. that are in a, at under three that they're never yeah. gonna they're never gonna want to leave. Yeah, great jail. Yeah. So mm-hmm. here's the deal. I think um, you want to you want to role play. Uh, I, I just Anthony think it, does. I mean, look, I, I just did it right. I refied my own mortgage on my prior house in August of 2020 at two six two five, and I bought my new house, and I had no option other than to go with four point six two five. And why did you want a new a house? Why did it? Why did I need a new house? Yeah, uh, because I wanted one. Well, and didn't you? <laughs> didn't you have a life change? Yeah, yeah. I had a baby. Well, you had a baby. I, I physically did not have a baby. Well, my you, wife. Did. You helped in the okay activities. Let's, let's <laughs> I, I think played to, a very small to, part to, to get. Uh, <laughs> on a, yes, that's the truth. Um, I think to get sellers off the fence, uh, it's the salesperson's job, the real estate agent's job, 
in order to find true motivation. Because the, the reality is people are still going to have, I think they, they're calling it the five Ds. It's like divorce, diamonds, diplomas, diapers, and death. I don't know. That was a pretty well, good that, one. Yeah, right. yeah, I like that. Like, and so all right. those things will continue to happen that will make people need to sell. And it's our job to make sure the client understands. I'll give you a real life example. I went on a listing appointment a couple of weeks ago. We got the listing, but we're, we're going to delay putting it on the market for probably nine months, if not a year. Wow. Now, these people specifically... I'd love to see that listing agreement. <laughs> I'll, send it, I'll send it to you. Thank you. Um, the the lawyer is, in the room wants to... The reality it. is they're, they're... I want to make sure he's covered. They're buying out of state and they, they want some time to be here next summer. That was the real motivation. We don't, want to, we don't want to leave the kids for next summer. So, But at the same time, I, I disobliged. I was like, yeah, you know, that's, that's fine. Let's do that. We... We have a couple different programs where we can shoot the external photos now, we'll get it ready, hold it, whatever. The reality is, I should have asked a better question. Like, hey, Brendan, how would it make you feel if the market went down 15% between now and next summer? I would not like that. Yeah, so like, I I truly think- Equity. Yeah, like- Equity is the play. Yeah, like people need, people that are trying to sell right now and trying to capitalize on it, the market's sliding down and we don't know- I don't know if it's going to go down further, if it's going to change. And none of the shit is inside our control right now. What I know is the value of the house today. Right. Cause there's plenty of homes that I said, let's wait, let's pull it off the market. Let's go back on the market. The reality is I don't freaking know. And, and I was wrong a couple different times. And I think I'm a pretty knowledgeable agent and try and stay up to the date with the market. But the reality is, is what we know today, what we can price it at today. And it's the, it's the agent's job to overcome that objection. And, and, you know, to a degree, like self fear is not the right word, but the reality is if that home goes down in value 15%, we screwed up. Right. So I think it's just our job. And if the client says, I don't care, I think it'll go back up. And then that's their call, right? But I think finding true motivation is how you get people off the fence in general. Also, I feel like they were spoiled and they need to get used. It's going to take time because they need to get used to the new norm. I hate that term, but they need to get used to higher interest rates. And as time goes on, a lot of them were going to forget that rates were in the twos, threes. Sure. So Yeah, I mean, the market... um, a healthy market is four, five months, six months on market. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not the um, two weeks. Yeah, it's, right. not, it's not selling the first week. Everybody was you know? spoiled. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've had to adjust how we communicate with our sellers as we go to market, right? Because it's not have one open house and high five on Tuesday with highest and best. It's just not the same anymore. So what are you each doing in the next 90 days to sort of keep your pipeline full and your, you know, next quarter looking healthy? I'm working harder. Double Same. efforts. Mm-hmm. Same. Simple as that. Yeah. Doing way more than I was. Yep. Doubling down on everything. Effort. Educating as many buyers, agents, as many people as I can to just stop watching the news. It's not all bad. Yeah. A strong market creates weak skills. And a weak market creates strong skills. I think you texted mm-hmm. me that in one <laughs> of my uh, downward spirals. It's, dude, it's the truth. Like I'm, I'm in here every day between, you know, spend some time with the family in the morning. I get here between 8, 8.30 and we're prospecting oh, for man, new don't, business. Don't spend too much time at home. You're here at 8. <laughs> um, you know, we're, we're prospecting for new business and, and then it's, you know, we're, we're here all day doing the work, right? Like I work harder is I think exactly. I heard right. a great quote. In a podcast on the way here. I love podcasts. The magic you're looking for is found in the work that you haven't done. Oh, mm-hmm. that's good. One. Deep. And we have time now to do 
different kinds of work, which yeah. is what I'm taking advantage of. Like recording podcasts. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> well, thank Great God point. you all have the time in your schedule. Yes. Great point. All right, cool. I think we'll we'll call it a call it a all the recording. So thanks, thank yeah. you guys for uh, for coming in, uh, Anthony. How do, how does uh, a consumer get a hold of you? Uh, you can call or text me nine seven eight two one zero zero seven two eight. Or an email, anthony.lapola at nrlmortgage.com. The world's longest email address. Or just my website, anthony at nrl.com. Oh, that's good. That's easier. And uh, are you on social uh, media, Anthony? Yeah, I couldn't remember any of the, uh, what do they call those? Handles? Yes. Yeah, just find me on Facebook or something. Uh, Facebook, okay. And Lacey? MySpace, actually. I just just revamped it. I think you were in my top eight back in the day. (laughs) Ooh, look at me. Oh gosh, for me, just Google me. You can Google me oh, and just such go a to, good answer. yeah, Google me and go to loansbylacy.com and all my contact information's there. That was way better. That was way better, better than mine. Can we redo my I, I don't want to think I don't want to think about my email address. Yeah, right. Screw yeah. it up. Yeah, true. <laughs> awesome. All right. Uh, well, we appreciate it, guys. And we'll yeah, thank uh, you. talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.